0: So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. I'm one of your hosts, John Sherman from Practical Golf, and I'm joined by my buddy here.
0: Adam Young from adamyounggolf.com.
1: From the interweb, adamyoung.com. Make sure you put the dot com in there, right?
0: And the www
1: dot. Always important. You know, I was thinking about, you know, you were talking about, should we have like an intro song last week, or as you call it, a jingle? I was thinking about this morning. I feel like you watch Netflix, right? Of course, Yeah. Okay, so now they let you skip the intro of just about anything on Netflix or whatever streaming. And I feel like whenever I see the intro of a show one time, I'm going to hit skip intro in perpetuity. So I was thinking like, should we have a podcast introduction with like a song and maybe some guy reading like, welcome to the sweet spot where John Sherman and Adam do one of those things. But I kept thinking to myself, like I don't like to do things just for the sake of doing them because other people do them. And I feel like- if you listen to the show weekly, like what do you care if we have an intro that rolls the same way every week? So anyway, I was thinking about that randomly this morning. Let's do a-,
0: a Twitter a Twitter poll. That's okay. how you solve everything these days, right? Yeah,
1: we'll ask Twitter. And if, if you're on Twitter, you can respond to that if we should have a formal introduction or not. Anyways, let's stop rambling. Last week, we talked about grit and resiliency. I thought that was a good discussion. That was more of like a maybe a practical golf driven discussion. And and today we're going to do more of a Adam Young golf discussion. Not that I don't, I have plenty of opinions on this topic and love it, but you're kind of the master at this and communicating it. So why don't you, why don't you introduce the topic to our listeners, Adam?
0: Yeah, we're going to discuss today skill Ooh, what shall I put in the middle here? Skill and technique. I was going to say skill versus technique, then, but I don't like that separation because people then think you have to be one or the other, or you have to be working on one or the other. You should be working on both your skills and your techniques. Everybody knows what technique is. We will be defining it more specifically, but uh, the biggest thing here is taking away what is skill. How do I know if I'm skilled? and how to improve it as well.
1: And this is something that I I think about a lot. I think a lot of golfers know about this possibly intuitively just in their experience of the game and certainly more skilled golfers understand this intuitively. But I think this will be really helpful for a lot of people to hear this for the first time because my contention, and we've probably spoken about this before, is that the golf world is probably a little too obsessed on technique I don't know if you agree or disagree, but 100 percent Everything you pick up,
0: there there isn't an improvement article or piece of improvement advice that isn't technical, basically.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's been weighted heavily on the how-to of the technique at, at the expense of a lot of golfers, in my opinion. And you know, when guys like yourself and some other instructors started talking more about skill. And I was kind of reading and seeing these videos. I'm like, yeah, that that's what I've been kind of like experimenting with and trying to do as a golfer and what I think I got better at versus having the cookie cutter looking golf swing. So I think words in golf mean a lot and how you define them, especially with last week's episode on grit and resiliency. I think our definition of it kind of transformed throughout the episode. Why don't you define what you believe is technique so we can make sure we're having a clarity in this conversation?
0: Yeah, it may transform during this episode as well because I have lots of different definitions of it. But if I was to give a summary, skill is the ability to do a task, technique is what you did, or it was, it's the method employed. So an analogy for that is if you're throwing a ball into a bucket, skill is your ability to get the ball in the bucket. Now, whether you throw that ball underhand, overhand, basketball style, sidearm, that's your technique or your method employed. So someone who's highly skilled can actually use multiple different techniques and still get the ball into the bucket, whereas someone who is not very skilled might use what looks like a more orthodox technique and they still can't get the ball in the bucket.
1: And what's so important about the distinction between the two?
0: It's how you work on it because if you're working on skills and improving skills it looks it looks very different often to improving your technique or changing your technique you know when you think of changing your technique what what do you think of if i said to you right we're going to change your technique what what would a practice session look like for you
1: similar to maybe what we did with that experiment in the video you you had me adjust how i'm gripping the golf club you remember you had me go to a weaker grip in that experiment i believe that's technique you gave me a, a cue to swing left and, and ha- hammer the nail 30 degrees to the left. But what happened technique-wise is my swing plane changed. A few things looked differently in my backswing and how I was delivering the club. So my technique altered how I was mechanically moving the golf club around in my swing. That, that to me is, is technique, is, is, is what's actually going on. When I think about skill... Me personally, I view that as something you can't necessarily put your finger on. I think it's something like inside of you neurologically, whatever you want to call it. So like, that's why I don't love getting swing tips from pro golfers because I think they talk about their technique, but I don't think they fully comprehend like what their skill is just because it's like it's something inside of them. I I, I think it's like something like that you can't necessarily quantify or define but they absolutely have it it's hard to see
0: it's hard to see but it it can be demonstrated
1: yeah i mean you could give someone like bubba watson who has unorthodox technique but you could tell him hey bend the ball 45 degrees that way and then do it in the opposite direction hit a high one hit a low one And, and his skill is certainly on display there and he's altering his technique to make that happen like someone like him to me is is a perfect example of how valuable skill is not to say that technique isn't important but you know he's someone who can play some of the best golf in the world with a technique that looks bizarre and unorthodox to a lot of people but obviously, that's a good
0: sorry that's a good um segue into what is the difference between skill and technique or defining it you look at If you look at guys like Dustin Johnson or McElroy or Bryson, they might all have very similar skills in terms of their long game. But they all use very different techniques. Dustin Johnson has a very strong grip, really closed at the top, fades it. McElroy hits a big draw, used to. Bryson has a really weak grip, completely the opposite of Dustin Johnson. And, you know, they just look very different. So their techniques, their method employed of getting the ball from A to B is different. But their ability to get the ball to A to B is is very similar.
1: Yeah, I might have mentioned this in another episode, but I remember like four or five years ago, I went to the Barclays, which is one of the playoff events. It was held at Bethpage, which is not too far from where I live. And I just sat on the range and I hadn't really been to a pro event in a while. And I just sat on the range watching literally the top 50 golfers in the world practicing Rory, Justin Rose, Adam Scott, like everyone. And if you're just standing back and looking at the ball flights, you're seeing what you'd expect, you know, perfectly shaped golf shots that are very controlled. But if you looked at each player, how they were delivering the golf club was was pretty different. You know, if you looked at their technique, which is always interesting to me about the pro game because I think it's a great example of how golf is one of those games, sports, whatever you want to call it, where you you can have your own style technique wise, but skill kind of reigns supreme. How you how you actually accomplish the task, as you say.
0: Well, on the topic of skill being kind of unseen, again, if you looked at all those players on the range, you know, they're all high, highly skilled because they're all there. But you could actually walk up and down that range and say, right, we're all going to play a game now. I want you to top the ball. I know people here thinking, well, what could be good on there? But they actually, pros do do this occasionally. There's a video of I think it's uh, Jason Day and Dustin Johnson playing a game for a TaylorMade commercial and they're trying to top their driver as short as possible. And there's another video of Rory McIlroy. Type it into YouTube. Rory McIlroy, funny shot, topping it. And you'll see Rory just, it barely goes off the tee, hits this full swing. The swing looks pretty much identical to his normal swing and the ball just dribbles off the tee. Must have nipped the top half a millimeter or something. And so... These players can demonstrate this, or a lot of them will be able to, to a very precise degree as well. And so you would say there, well, their techniques have changed when they're doing that. Their techniques are bad, right? If they're topping it, yet they're demonstrating high skill. So again, that's where skill and technique separate.
1: You know, there's another good example of it. I think it was John Rahm. Have you seen him? I think he was hitting like a flop shot with a four iron. I'm pretty sure it was him, but that that was another example where you're seeing him. He's like lowering the handle of the club as much as he can to add loft, which is the technique he was doing. But it was just incredible to watch, you know, the skill in his hands and everything the way he could do it. But yeah, I think that's always interesting to me about professional athletes. Like there was always clips of Shaquille O'Neal. If you watched Shaq in a pickup game, he could like dribble, he could handle the ball like a point guard, like dribble through his legs, do everything. But you put him in, in an actual pro game where it's more competitive and he's limited to like, you know, his post-up game and stuff like that. So I'm always blown away at professional athletes. Just like when you really see them show off their, their skill, what they can actually do kind of outside the lines when they're not under the gun in the moment, it's, it's like mind-blowing how skilled they are.
0: Exactly, yeah. I, I like to do lots of experiments as well. I'm not saying I'm a, a super high-skilled player, but I'm pretty pretty decent. And I, I, I know you saw the shaping one I did the other day, which is hit a straight shot, then the next one is hit it left or right. And it, they all have to finish within 10 yards, but they're not allowed to cross over each other. It's really difficult. Or more importantly, what something I demonstrated the other day was I I tried to make the worst swings possible technically, so I was doing things like looping the club over my head, doing a claw grip. What else did I do? The old man swing where I just locked my hips in place. I just hit all these shots just to demonstrate That if you're highly skilled, you can still get the ball down the target or you can figure it out quickly how to get the ball down the target, even with some of the worst techniques. So I almost see it like the technique is the car that you're driving, right? If you're driving, if you've got a really good technique, you're in a Formula One car. If you've got a horrible technique, you're in a, what's, what's the name of a bad car in America? I've only got European cars in my head.
1: I don't know. They're not bad anymore. I'm thinking of like <laughs> okay. a, a, maybe a, a Honda Civic from the 1980s. Right, that yeah. was a say horrible
0: form, car. Say Formula One car versus Honda Civic then. So your technique is like your car, but the skill is like the driver within the car. So if you put Lewis Hamilton in, he's, he's like a great Formula One car driver. If you put him in any car, he's going to get the most out of it. Whereas if you put me, a low-skilled driver, into a Formula One car, I'm not going to get anything out of it. And that's that could be the same in the golf swing as well. If you, if you put a low-skilled person into a tall professional's movement, they might not even be able to make it work.
1: And that's why when I think about golf, I think skill is important because it deals with the variables you have to face on the course. So one struggle we've talked about that all golfers face is that They go from the practice tee where it's a controlled environment. They're hitting off the same lie. It's flat. They're not worrying about all the consequences that are on the golf course. And then when you get them on the course, they have uneven lies. They have different lies. They have wind blowing from different directions. There's all of these variables that are thrown at them. And that's part of why golf is so awesome to me is that you have to adjust. And to me, that's what. That's where skill shines is that when you watch a golfer who – I've seen some golfers. I think if you have good technique, obviously, it gives you a better chance of being a, a more skilled player. I think you would probably agree with that.
0: They they all tie in together. Yeah, so they're, if they're you not have mutually exclusive,
1: yes. Yes, yeah.
0: And If you have better technique, you can be better skilled. It helps you demonstrate skill more. But also, having, having good skill helps you even improve your technique, for example, if you ask me to copy Matt Wolf's swing or something or Jim Furyk's swing, I can I can copy that swing and I can figure out how to make it work very quickly as well.
1: Yeah, and when I think about it in the evolution of my own game, is let's say dealing with like the wind. I used to be a very poor player in the wind and because I live on the North shore of Long Island now, which is a very windy place. So, and I I play on a golf course that doesn't have a lot of trees. So I'm, I'm dealing with all types of wind conditions. And I've found that through time by playing in the wind so much, I've found ways to alter my technique or as you would say, use more skill where, you know, if it's just like a really blowing heavy like 20, 30, 40 miles an hour gusts and there's just certain times where I'm just going to have to like maybe hook a driver or hit it super low just because if I don't, I know it's going to blow up and balloon and then there's just like kind of wacky things I have to do with my swing but I can keep the ball in functional territory, the ball flight, so it doesn't go wild because as you know, if you can't control your ball flight in windy conditions, things can go really badly for you. So to me, when I think about skill, like that's an example of where I think I've always had decent technique as a golfer, but probably lacked a little bit in the skill department. Adjusting to the elements would be one area where I think like skill is, is, is a must because, as you know, you're playing it outside and anything could happen with, with the weather forecast. So that to me is an example of skill. So you're kind of a guy who's been preaching the skill thing for years, rightfully so, Do you find you've gotten like blowback from the industry or people have like criticized you for that? Because I think as we mentioned earlier, the golf industry wants to thrust technique on everyone.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think people don't understand it for one. And and hopefully at the end of this, that people are going to have a clearer idea of it. It is difficult to understand. I I do get that. Everything looks like technique, right? But if anybody's tried to change their swing, I remember changing my swing as a kid, right? I'm making it look exactly how I wanted to on camera, and I hit it awful, and I couldn't tell why. Now I know it's because it's not about how pretty, how symmetrical a swing looks necessarily. There is an argument from the technical side of what is good technique is not necessarily pretty or functional. So lots of people would argue, well, Jim Furyk does have good technique and that's for another podcast. I agree with that. Yeah, it's just defining skill really. It's making people understand it. Once they understand it and they know how to work on it, there's going to be less blowback. Is that right? From
1: <laughs> um, Yeah, I think that's a fair term. Yeah.
0: So there's yeah, I I, so that's what I want to do in this. So, I mean, I categorize different skills. I, I know you talked a lot about you know judging wind and things like that. So there are mental skills as well. There are perceptual skills. There's dealing with grit. That's a skill in itself. Um you do even when you're changing your technique, there are movement skills. Your ability to know where you place your body in space is a movement skill. So if I ask a hundred golfers to raise their left arm by 10 degrees to get their lead arm steeper, some players will be able to do that, some players won't. Some players may even go the opposite direction. So you'd say they're lowly skilled in the in movement skills. But what's more important to me is process and outcome skills. So outcome skills are things like how good is your distance control? How good is your directional control? So, for example, how many fairways do you hit? And that's a combination of things, right? It's a combination of technique, but it's also a combination of your strategy. You could curve the ball 40 yards in the air and miss every fairway. Or you could do what Bubba Watson does, curve it 40 yards in the air and hit a lot of fairways. And also your ability to hit fairways. So you you might have two players on tour who both hit 60% fairways and they look completely different. So again, their skill is is the same of hitting fairways, but their technique is very different. But probably the most important category of skill for me is process skills. So they are, they're basically impact skills because they determine the outcome. We know from physics, right? It's impact that determines the outcome. So the ability to control where you strike the ground is a skill. The ability to control where you strike on the face is a skill. And the ability to control where that face is looking is a skill. Now, what you do in each of those is technique, but you can actually demonstrate it. So so how would I know if there's, there's a higher skill player?
1: Yeah, that that was going to be my next question too, is like, all right, if we're separating between technique and skill and skill seems to be the thing that you necessarily can't put your finger on you can't see it in a swing video like you could show me a swing video of a golfer and they might have a pretty looking swing but you put them on a golf course and you have really no idea how they're going to perform because you can't see that that intangible skill so i guess the next question is how do you tell if a golfer has skill or enough skill
0: well, I have certain tests for these things. So say it'd be me against you, right? We're both in a lesson. We're both testing our skills, right? And we both hit 10 balls and we have a look at the face strike. And both you and I are exactly the same, right? We're both striking the sweet spot. It's really tight, standard deviation. So you'd look at that and say, well, we both have good techniques. Now, the skill demonstration comes if, if I were to ask and say, I want you to move the strike five millimeters more towards the toe, and then you hit a shot. Now, the higher skill player will be able to do that, and they would be able to do it more precisely, whereas the lower skill player might not be able to do it at all. Or they may even go the opposite way. So I've seen players where I say, can you hit a little bit more towards the toe, and they strike it towards the heel, usually because they've never practiced that before, so they, they haven't got a clue where to start. Here's the the advantage. The player who has the skill to move it in the right direction and precisely, they are going to be better on their bad days. Because if if those two players wake up and they're warming up on the range and they have a shank, that skilled player is more likely to be able to calibrate it back to the sweet spot. And that is an advantage. And when you think about how often we play poorly in golf... These skills are vital. They're really so important. And so you can demonstrate that's a face strike example. You could use the divot board to demonstrate ground contact skill, right? Both of us might be hitting that ground in the exact same place perfectly, right on that yellow spot on the divot board. Well, if I were to ask you to hit three inches in front and then three inches behind, your precision and your ability to do that is going to demonstrate your skill. A tour level player. If I ask them to hit three inches in front, they'd be able to get a quarter of an inch either side of it. And if I ask them to hit three inches behind that spot, they'd be able to get a quarter of an inch behind it. Whereas a low skill player, they might have a three-inch range either side of that. So they're able to move it maybe, but just not precisely at all.
1: And the, the example that I, I'm thinking about currently is episode on on face angle controlling where the golf club is pointing at impact left to right which is a very popular episode if you haven't listened to it yet the ability you know we talked about how I hit a draw pattern and on certain days my club face is too open or maybe it's too closed and I have to figure that out on the golf course so if I'm missing my target to the left too much I'm hooking it and starting it too far to the left, I have to figure out a way to get that club face more open at impact during my round. And as you mentioned, I think the ability to adapt my technique on the fly or any golfer for that matter, that's the true measure of skill. And I think that's what separates, you know, golfers who could start off poorly, maybe getting back to our grit conversation. And then they have kind of the the mental fortitude to stick with it and say like, all right, I've got a problem here. What am I going to do to solve it? And then they're adjusting their technique with skill. Does that make sense? Exa- am I, am yeah, I, am I wrapping it. it all together there properly?
0: That's exactly it. The, where, you, where you present the face, whether that face is presented three degrees open or three degrees closed, that's technique. But it's your ability to adjust the, the face angle. That's your skill. So obviously, if you hit a shot and you're three degrees closed with the face, that's going to be hocking off the planet for you. Your ability to then present a two degree open face and turn that into a nice draw, that is your skill. So its skill is almost ability to adjust consciously, I would say. That's another sub-definition of skill. And all these things can be demonstrated, as I said, with testing. If I ask you to present the face three degrees open, then three degrees closed, We can test how how much of a difference did you get between those. If I say to you, get three degrees open and you hit it 10 degrees open with the face, that's a seven degree difference. And so if you were to test different face angles and then take the average of the difference, I'm getting a little bit too complicated there, uh, but that would be a definition of your skill or a measure of your skill. And the lower the number, the better. I have players who I can say, present that face three degrees open for me and they can get within half a degree either side almost every time. So that is a very high, highly skilled player.
1: Here's another, here's another important one for me. And I'm, I know I'm not the only one who believes this about putting. The more I learned and got better at putting myself, the more I realized that I think speed control is the number one skill that you need as a putter if you can't get speed control right forget about your read forget about how you present the face open or close at impact start on your line if you can't get speed control right you're going to be three putting a lot and you're not going to make enough putts either especially from short range uh, speed is still important there so when i think about on the course how you're adjusting your technique which would probably be the length of your stroke maybe the tempo whatever there are days when i show up to the course and i just don't have a good feel for the speed of the greens and that's something that i'm going to need to adjust as the day goes on perhaps i'm starting the round by hitting them too short i'm not judging i'm interpreting the speed as too slow and i've got to make that adjustment on the fly i view that as another tremendous skill because i think a lot of golfers struggle with speed control especially if you're playing different golf courses and the speeds are changing on you or even on the same course sometimes the speed can change weekly that to me is another prime example of what i believe is an important skill in the short game
0: well if you take it if you take chipping because there are more variables with chipping this is demonstration of multiple skills so you have to if, if you want to control the distance of that shot you've got to be able to have a good ground contact skill If you're hitting six inches behind it and then missing the ground, you're going to be fatting and blading balls all over the place. So it doesn't matter how good your speed control is with that. However, you do need good speed control as well. You also need the, the mental skills of the ability to judge the conditions. And so I can sometimes separate when I see someone and they say, oh, I'm awful at chipping. I just can't control the distance. I'm saying, which one of those skills do I need to improve? So I might ask them to pick the ball up with their hand and throw the ball to the target. Now, if they can do that successfully, that tells me that they have decent mental skills in terms of they have good judgment skills. Because they're doing it with their hand, right? So they're obviously judging how hard they uh, or what they think the bounce and the roll is going to be successfully. Whereas if they can't do that, say they throw it 20 foot past or 30 foot past the flag, I would say, okay, we need to work on your judgment skills. We need to spend some time actually throwing a a few balls or rolling them towards a target with your hand or trying different scenarios until your judgment improves but yeah there there might be strike issues or speed control issues someone may be producing a very good energy amount with the stroke but they just keep blading and fatting it all the time so understanding all these things and how they all interact together is where i look as a coach to be able to determine basically what how i'm going to improve this player with the with the lowest hanging fruit
1: well we kind of keep coming back to the same things on every episode, which is like ground contact, face contact, where your club is pointing at impact, face control. There's just certain fundamentals that need to be met. Like me, for example, I'm not a great bunker player. And I think the reason I'm not a great bunker player is because I really struggle with ground contact in the bunker.
0: And you're a very closed face player as well.
1: Exactly. So I think what works for me, or at least my slightly unorthodox technique that glues together on the rest of the course with my iron shots and i'm a pretty good iron player what works for me there works against me in the bunker so when i'm in the bunker and I, I do probably need to spend more time than usual like for example we're in the spring now i'm gonna have to spend a lot of time in the practice bunker because i haven't hit bunker shots in six months so i'm gonna have to reestablish you know, low point control, ground contact, that type of stuff, because that's where I struggle. I can pick them. I mean, my, my I'm, I'm sure this won't surprise you, but my tendency in the bunker is if I had a bad bunker shot, I'm going to blade it or pick it too clean just because I, I'm i very shallow on how I strike my irons. I'm not taking huge divots. So for me to like really use the bounce of, of the sand wedge or lob wedge or whatever I'm using and slide the club underneath, that feels a little differently – for me than, than the rest of my iron and wedge play. So it's something I need to consciously work on more. And and that, that, that I think is the main skill I lack in bunker play. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Lynxwear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour-level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Lynxwear is known for with their Lux midsole for a supportive, yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Truelinkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and Deluxe G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off Deluxe G's shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code sweetspot that's one word, to get 15% off their new Luxe G shoes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Well, what I would actually say, I would take the alternative approach there. And I would say you are are a skilled golfer. So your ability to control things like where you contact the sand and the speed, the amount of speed that you would need, they're probably very high. I would say in the bunker, it's probably the technique or the car that's limiting you there. So I would actually, in that situation, I would take the opposite approach. I might not work on your skills in the bunker. I would say, because you're you're using a very closed face technique, because that's your long game pattern, if we were to figure out how to open the face a little bit more, add more bounce to it, that's a technical thing. And then you'd require less skill. You'd require less practice in the bunker. So maybe, that's the Maybe flip I side need to go. Argument. I was
1: actually thinking about this the other day. Maybe I've been actually experimenting with that weak grip uh, thing you gave me with the uh, swinging 30 degrees to the left, Just, just for fun. I like doing stuff for fun sometimes. I think experimenting is great while you practice. I'm wondering if I take that technique to the bunker, and as you say, it would open the face more for me, and get my pattern probably a little less into out and neutral, or maybe out to in, and using the bounce more probably, because that's where I know I struggle with the bunkers. Like I, I de loft, so I'm the, I have I have a wedge with the widest sole possible and the most bounce possible because I de loft so much. This is a separate conversation we could have about wedge design and, and what you need for good short game. But you know my tendencies work against me in there, so. Maybe as you suggested, I need to think about a different technique that could be more viable for me in the bunker. Definitely.
0: So th- this is why both are valuable. This is why I started the conversation by saying I don't want to say skill versus technique. It's yeah, they're both. They're,
1: they work together. You can't have one. I, I view it as kind of like what is that? A Venn diagram would be the perfect thing. Is like they're not separate. They overlap,
0: and they feed into one exactly. another as well. They help each other. So, you know, in your case, but I'm, I'm always looking at what is the weakest link with that specific player. In your case, you're a highly skilled player, but the technique you're using is limiting you. But for a lot of players, their, their technique is actually okay. So I see a lot of players, say, for example, who I look at their technique and I say, there's no reason why you couldn't play off single figures. And then I ask them what their handicap is, and they say 25 in that route, I'm not going to change their swing to make it better and better and better necessarily. I might go more of a skill development route. I'm going to say, right, which, which one of the skills do they lack? And I'm going to work on that. So that leads into then how to improve skills. And this is interesting, right? So I, and I'm going to ask this to you. I once sat a group of golfers down and I said, if I was throwing a ball into a bucket and I was going to do a competition on throwing a ball into a bucket in, in five weeks... What would you do with me to improve that? How would you improve me
1: if, in terms of like straight up throwing, like it would be more, it would be probably like more variable stuff where I would give you, like, okay, let's set up three buckets at three different distances and go back and forth between all three or focus on one distance. I wouldn't, I would never talk to you about like, I probably wouldn't be talking to you about where your elbow is or where your wrist is hinging at the top of the, th- the throwing motion. I would just. Give you a series of tasks to complete, hoping that along that route, you would figure some things out internally. You'd get some feels, whatever you want to call them, and then you could recall on those when the test actually comes. Versus when the test comes, you'd be like, oh, I got to get my elbow up here and my wrist here. And then you're more nervous than normal, and then you're thinking about the actual technique too much, and you're going to screw up probably.
0: Exactly. So that's the exact answer that the entire group gave me. They were all things like, well, I would practice from different distances. I would practice throwing the ball higher or lower. Uh, they, they even said, change the task difficulty. So give me a bigger bucket than a smaller bucket. So they're all, it was all about throwing in variability into the task as well as how to practice. They said, um, you know, throw a ball and then take a little break and then throw another ball so you're not getting used to the feeling because that's fake learning. So then it is all about... No one said change arm angle, or I would hook you up to a 3D device on your arm and look at the, the, the arm angles or release points. No one said that. Now, it's not to say that that is bad in golf. It's just to say that when I asked people how to improve at this task, everybody gave me skill-based exercises. So I would say if you're going to improve at golf skills... The number one thing is doing the task, but with heightened awareness. So, for example, spraying the face with Dr. Shaw's foot spray. That is doing the task of face strike, but you're improving the feedback. You've got heightened awareness of what's happening. That's very different to just going off and beating a bunch of balls and guessing where you're hitting on the face. So that's number, number one thing if you're improving skills. Number two thing I do is then I explore the scale. So that might be, as we've talked about a million times, exploring hitting more toe, exploring hitting more heel, and maybe in varying amounts as well. Or exploring presenting the face open, presenting the face closed in varying amounts. This is called differential practice. And this improves your ability to change the variable that you want which is going to become very handy later on the other thing that people would do or should do is variability practice so this is where you do the task how you want to but in varying ways so an example of that would be hitting the sweet spot or trying to hit the sweet spot but setting up with different club face locations so i will say all right set up towards the heel now swing back and try and hit the sweet spot. Or you could say, right, set up towards the toe, swing back and try and hit the sweet spot, or even hover the club at, at address and try and hit the sweet spot. So you're now, your brain is now figuring out how to get back to that ideal from varying different locations. And so there's a whole faction in motor learning science about good variability. So they're saying that... If you want to improve consistency, it's not just about getting rid of bad variability, stuff that you don't want. It's also about improving good variability. So the the analogy I give for good variability is if you're driving down the road and your car starts veering off, your ability to turn that steering wheel and get your car back on track is good variability. And that exists in motor movements as well, like golf. And so this variability practice improves that
1: here here's a let me give you a quick story, which I think can put all this in context and give some uh real world examples when I first started practical golf. I started trying to think back to the things I did as a kid that made me good at certain parts of the game, and I used to think about the short game. I was a really good wedge player as a kid, and I thought back to like, well, why was that? It's because I used to spend hours in my yard as a kid experimenting with my wedges. I would try and hit the ball all different trajectories. I used to hit the ball. (laughs) I used to go from my front yard and hit the ball over my house into the backyard to put pressure on myself. One time I actually hit a ball down my street and... For the first time I'd ever seen a cop car parked on my street, it hit the cop car. So I did some pretty wild stuff as a kid in my yard. And then my dad would get angry at me for tearing up the yard. So then I had to figure out, oh, how can I hit shots without tearing the yard up? So then I'd be thinking about ground contact. And that's
0: where you learned your picking. Yeah, that's probably where I learned
1: probably. my picking action. But my point is, is that I was playing. And what is play? I was experimenting. I was doing variability, what you would call it as that. I was putting pressure on myself, trying not to hit the house. I hit it straight over my bedroom window into the backyard. I was doing all of these things to manipulate the golf club and make the ball do different things. And it was fun to me. I wasn't like thinking about necessarily what I was doing, I was just home after school playing around. And because of that, I had this great intuition on the golf course with wedges. I would go up to each shot and I would recall these experiences. And I was a pretty good wedge player. Now, fast forward to when I was an adult, you know, all of that play and experimentation kind of went away. There was like a more rigid, more technical approach to practice. And... You know, I thought about this a lot. And when I came across, you know, your work or someone like Andrew Rice, and I started seeing the skill stuff again, I was like, that's, you know, that's what I lost as I got older, that playfulness, that experimentation, that variability, that type of practice. And I started reintroducing it, whether I was practicing on the course or on the range. And I think that was one of the great things I could have done because it built my skill you know in the sense of throwing the ball in the bucket i wasn't thinking about what my elbow or wrist was doing i was i was trying to get the ball in the bucket by thinking about completing the task rather than the 50 different things I needed to do technique-wise to make it happen.
0: And now all pros have been through that developmental route again. So this this is why you can't see that. You're looking at the range and you see these pros hitting ball after ball down the target. What you don't see is when they were kids, they were hocking the hell out of it on the range and slicing it because that's what I did as a kid. We all tried. We played games against each other. Who could hook it the most? Who could, who could hit a sand wedge 150 just by slamming the face shut and aiming way right and still getting it down the target or who could hit a flop shot with a four iron and get it to land just 10 feet in front of them. So we did these things as a kid and they developed skills that were very useful later on. So if ever I woke up and I had a hook, I knew, oh, I know what a flop shot feels like. I know what opening the face feels like because I remember doing that yesterday when we were messing around. I can implement some of that feel. But adults, like you said, they don't have that. They didn't develop that because adults are taught in a rigid way. They're taught you have to do this. The the number one phrase I hate is practice makes perfect because that locks everybody into the idea that you have to do things the right way and that's the only way. And then it completely destroys play. Play is evolution's form of Speeding up learning, why do baby tigers and lions bite each other and mess around because they're learning they're learning how hard to bite before someone screams they're learning hunting skills it's play is all about speeding up learning. We lose that as an adult when we get locked into this. you must do it this way approach
1: yeah, and i that's why i you know we we probably will do another episode. I know we did it with our buddy Cordy at Golf Science Lab. We did the, the blocked versus random thing, but I see a lot of value in devoting at least a portion of your practice sessions to straight up experimentation. Because as you said, you know when you do those things as a kid, you were trying to hit the target with a closed face or vice versa. They're shots that you necessarily won't execute on the golf course. But again, I always think about the skill Your job as a golfer is to manipulate that golf ball, to make it do curve or travel the trajectory and distance you want it to travel. And I found that the more you experiment with different techniques to accomplish the task, the more skill you'll have at manipulating that ball. So let's get to the part of the episode where we tell people what to do, because we've talked a lot about the difference between skill and technique. I think we're starting to allude to the practice methods to increase golfer's skill, and we've certainly discussed them in other episodes. You know, you've kind of built your business around skill acquisition. Are, are you ready to spill the beans on some actionable pieces of advice people can start right now to build skill?
0: Yeah, I've already given some of uh, some of the things. I will give more specific examples. Yeah, let's let's but- get
1: some. Uh, if, if someone is listening to this and they're like, "All right, I'm sold on this. I'm not going to be the the technique minded golfer as much anymore. I want to build my skill." we're going to be repeating some stuff from other episodes but you know what are some of your greatest hits for skill acquisition
0: so number 1 doing the task, but with heightened awareness. So as I said, face spray on the the face, a divot board helps you see the ground contact, uh, or you can just spray a line on the ground. So it goes back to our feedback device, right? Increasing the awareness. But when, when it comes to performance skills as well, outcome skills, things like distance control, direction control, the amount of people who will hit balls on the range without a target is obscene. Right, they have a general idea. If I walk up to someone on the range and say, "Where are you, where are you aiming?" Over say, there. Oh yeah, around about over there. <laughs> over there. <And> there. <laughs> no, don't even pick a specific spot. Pick two specific spots and go between them and count how many shots go between them, and also count how many miss left and how many miss right. The moment you add those bits of feedback, you are doing a hell of a lot more to go towards improving your skill. I've had group coaching, right, where I I don't do technical instruction with them. All I do is set them targets. I say, right, guys, today we're using this target. So it's between the 150 sign and the 200 sign. So the left to right. So it's like a 20, 20 yard wide area. I want you to hit 10 balls and count how many hit that area, count how many miss left and how many miss right. And over the course of weeks of doing that, without me telling them anything about technique, you know what happens? They improve the amount of times they hit that target. It might only go up from 50% to 55% or 55 to 65 but it's an improvement. And that is huge in terms of strokes gained. And the same with face strike as well. I've I've done experiments where... I used to have groups and we talked about face strike, center face contact, but we would use the foot spray with one group and I wouldn't use the foot spray with another. And I would test them before and after. And the ones who used the face spray always outperformed the ones who didn't. So just the act of having that feedback improves it.
1: Yeah, we keep coming back to the the face spray thing, but I, I still think that's like, that's gotta be the best bang for your buck because it's incredibly cheap to do it. But just in terms of, what you get out of that practice because you know now i know when i'm on the course and i i can tell you exactly where i hit it on my driver face just by the feeling because i've gone through so many i don't even have to spray the face as much anymore i know where i struck it on my driver face which is arguably maybe the most important club because of gear effect and the face is so big and you're swinging so fast We, we keep talking about it in different episodes but you know the face spray thing is is just it's gold
0: Best gold, training Terry. aid ever. <laughs> Best training aid ever. It really is. So the the next tactic. So we've got doing the task with awareness. The next tactic, as I said, is exploring the scale. So that's hitting toes, hitting heels, doing it precisely, though. It's not just random. It's not just toe it and shank it. I would say to players, you know, hit it three millimeters towards the toe, three millimeters towards the heel. Or I would pick a task, difficulty, that uh, that suits that level of player. So if I have a really low, low skill player, I might say, we're going to do some putting swings and I want you to hit the toe half of the face. Or I might start with, if we're doing face direction, I might stick a stick in the ground and say, I want you to hit that ball to the right of that stick, then to the left of it. There's no, there's no other constraint on it. So it's a very easy task, right? Hit one right, hit one left. As we go up through the skill levels, it might be hit it right of that stick, but not farther right than 20 yards. So you have to basically go between zero and 20 yards right and then reverse it, zero and 20 yards left. So they're now more constrained. So it now is more demanding of your skill level. And when we get all the way up to pro level, if I'm working on someone with my launch monitor, with my Foresight Sports Launch Monitor, a little plug in there, um...
1: I'll have to try and get a commission off them.
0: Um, (laughs) I
1: know. Can you get me? I I want a GC quad. Foresight, if you're listening, I will take (laughs) one.
0: (laughs) They're great devices. Um, But yeah, if I'm working with that, we can get such precise feedback that I can ask that player, open the face by one degree, now two degrees, now three degrees, and we can measure how precisely they do it. So it's exploring the scale, but doing it with some level of precision. And that level of precision will match the current skill level of the player. I'm not going to ask a complete beginner to open the face one or two degrees. They're not going to feel that. It's like me asking uh, you in darts to try and hit the the right side of the treble. It's just like, I can't feel that. Ask me to hit somewhere on the board. Yeah, but not. (laughs) So you have to pick the right task level for the player.
1: What do you think about the, I think, The ladder drill or some variation of it, whether it's wedge play or putting for speed control, seems to be one of, I think, the favorite games that I've played or seen other people play. Kind of where you're like, whether it's a wedge or putting, you're like leapfrogging over the last ball. So like you hit one wedge shot, then you're trying to hit the next one. You know, talk about difficulty could be five yards past it, 10 yards past it, then hit another one 10 yards past that, then maybe hit the next one in between those two, whether that's a variation of that on the putting green, chipping, whatever. But when you're talking about distance control with your wedges or putting some variation of that game, I've seen a million different versions of that seems to, in my view, is one of the better skill acquisition games you could play for distance control because it's kind of testing a bunch of different skills.
0: Exactly. So it's exploring the scale there, leapfrogging, you know, exploring different speeds. But what you can do with that task is obviously, if you have a beginner, those differences between the levels can be bigger. So for for example, you might have 10 feet or even 20 feet between levels. So hit one 10 to 20 feet. But by the time you get to a pro level, you might only have two feet foot of difference between those levels. So it's the same task. It's just you scale the difficulty of the task. But one interesting thing on the differential practice side of putting. So in terms of skill, a highly skilled player will be able to use different sizes and tempos of strokes and still get the ball to go a, a good distance. So I've tested this with really good putters, you know, scratch players and better. And I'll I'll set them up on a 30-foot putt and I'll say, make your normal swing. And they hit it to like two feet. And then I say, right, I want you to make a short and jabby swing. So a really short but highly accelerated swing and get it the same distance. And they do it. And then I say, right, now make a really long and smooth swing and get the ball to that same target. And they do it. So that now is increasing variability. It's exploring the scale in different ways, ways that you wouldn't use on the course normally. But the brain is, is in hyper learning mode when you do that. I've tested people after doing those drills. And it's, it's almost a given they're going to improve more than if they just use their stock stroke. So, again, it's not to go out and make all of your practice like this, but add at least 10, 5, 10 percent of your practice as some form of play where you're exploring, experimenting with things outside of the norm. And they don't have to be wild, but, you know, a slightly longer, smoother swing, slightly shorter, more accelerated that's within normal uh, variability ranges that improves your speed control. And again, a good player, a highly skilled player will be able to use those different techniques and still achieve the outcome that they wanted.
1: Yeah. I think usually the number I agree on is around 10%. This isn't something that you're going to do 90% of your practice time, but I think it can yield a lot of benefits for the short game for a lot of golfers. I think a lot of recreational players have poor distance control, whether it's with their wedges or their putter. And that's a part of the game where they can get some really quick wins. And doing this type of practice with the wedges of the putter can really sharpen up things quickly. And, and especially this time of year, you know, spring just started. So if you're a golfer who, like me, hasn't been on the course for five or six months, You know, I was out there yesterday playing a few holes and I just threw a bunch of balls down. I was just trying to hit wedges to different distances, different trajectories, just getting that like, you know, full swings fine. I hit balls in a net. I've got my SkyTrack launch monitor. I can keep my full swing in check. But, you know, the distance control, what I'm seeing and feeling on the course I haven't been there in a while so I'm trying to recalibrate that and that's the type of practice I like to do in the short game to kind of get that back or for someone else build the skill in the first place I think it's incredibly worthwhile not to say not to do it on the on the you know your iron or driver swings but I think it can yield faster results for a lot of people in the short game
0: I taper it throughout the season in my in my book, I talked about how you periodize these uh, these different phases, so in the off season, we might use more wild variations you know hock it off the planet, try and slice it, try and hit it more at the toe and the heel. As you get more towards in-season, we would do less of that type of practice. It's still going to be there to a certain extent for most people, but you do less of it. Certainly before a tournament, I wouldn't want to be doing these things.
1: Yeah, I think before before a tournament, I'm more focused on speed control and distance control. I'll, I'll practice a little bit more with the wedges and putter because you know my full swing is pretty much what it is at that point. I'm going to show up to the course that day with some version of my golf swing and and have to adjust you know when we talk about face strike and face you know where the golf club is pointed at impact but the one thing that i do need i feel i need to brush up on when i have some more important rounds coming is the short game i really want to spend maybe an hour or two right before the round to kind of solidify those feels
0: yeah definitely i mean sure i i I like the idea of practicing your long game more throughout the the uh season but when it comes to pre-tournament, spending more time on the short game because there's a bigger bang for the buck in terms of of an hour of practice is going to have more effect on your score on short game. In that regard, even though all the strokes gain stats say that long game is much more uh, powerful for your overall season performance. What I wanted to get to with regards to as you approach the season, you can still do skill work mid-season and even pre-tournament. It just might not be as variable. You might be more of the calibration route so what i mean by that is you might spray the face and try to hit that sweet spot so your focus is intently on that and you just might start with smaller swings so start with chipping and build up as you see success so you're still working on the skill of face strike you're just not exploring the scale as much during the 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 pre-season or sorry pre-tournament
1: parts so it looks like we are approaching our magic number here i think we're at fifty five minutes into this episode, I have um, just
0: one more point to make yeah, then. I
1: want you to I mean we could go on for three hours if you want, but I don't know if anyone's going to be listening at that point <laughs> so what what's your what's your what's one of your big final points here
0: I want people to understand why we do this, why we develop skill rather than just standing on the range, trying to make your swing look pretty or working on technique you need to develop your skills, you need to develop your ability to change and control variables, because when you're on the course, stuff changes, right? You could start the round with something, with some pattern, and you need to be able to change it, because it could change at the end. So for example, you could start flushing the ball on hole one, and then all of a sudden, a shank pops up on hole five, And then on set again, you need the ability to recalibrate that and you cannot recalibrate it if you haven't practiced these skills beforehand. So it helps you with on course, on the fly fixing, which is massive.
1: That's. I mean, I've said this a million times at this point, but that—that that is essentially what golf is. It's a series of micro adjustments.
0: Exactly. 90% of my rounds of golf are just recalibrating myself during the round. People think that, oh, if I just get my swing to look like this – Then everything falls into place and then I can play golf. That is not what happens. That is not (laughs) what golf is. You have to develop your toolbox for being able to fix and recalibrate the most important things. So number one, you have to fix it, right? If you've got a hook, you have to fix it. But number two, you have to do it precisely, You can't just turn a hook into a slice and say, there, it's fixed. You've got to turn that hook into a nice playable draw. So the amount, the dosage of the intervention is key. And that's why this practice or this form of practice skill development is so important, because it's improving your ability to provide the right dose of an intervention. I'm done. That's my big important point.
1: That's it. Yeah, I mean... I think you're you're preaching to the choir here. If I if I can think about the times in my golf life where I, I struggled the most and couldn't play well, it was the inability to make on course adjustments. And you see this play out in not just golf, a number of other sports. You know, you talk about American football. Sorry, I'll, I'll make the distinction there since I'm not with another American here, but. You know, yeah, know <laughs> handful whatever you want to call it but you know off you know that that's a very strategy intensive game where coaches you know you have you have huge coaching teams working against one another and and one of the often criticisms of coaches Andy Reid comes to mind who's now a Super Bowl winner, but early on in his career, one of the criticisms of him in the playoffs was that he couldn't make adjustments during the game after halftime. So whatever was happening on the field, the other coaching staff was outmaneuvering him in the second half and he couldn't make the right adjustments. So th- this does show up in in plenty of different sports, but when you think about golf and all the things you face on the course, uneven lies, different lies, wind, just temperature changing all all of these yourself 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 what your mind is doing what your playing partners are doing the results you're seeing that is everything changes from minute to minute you know you hit a good shot you're like oh that was good you feel good about it then all of a sudden you hit a shot you're not so happy with and then you start losing faith in your technique um like you said the the shank can rattle through your your body and, and all of a sudden you're doubting everything and every golfer knows this
0: Well, here's another example of that. When you're playing in the middle of a round, as you get tired, different patterns occur. Or as you get stressed, different patterns occur. For example, I know when I get stressed and nervous, I'm more likely to hit it left. So again, having the skill of knowing that I'm stressed, understanding I'm more likely to hit it left, and then having the skill to implement something to neutralize that before I need it. So I know how to feel an open face. And so when I'm feeling stressed, I say to myself, I'm going to feel a more open face. So rather than walking off every round going, oh, I got stressed again and and lost it, I now walk off and I go, oh, I got stressed again, but I got through it because of my skills, my ability to adapt to that situation or adjust to that situation.
1: I think hopefully we have differentiated this these two concepts because it's not one versus the other they do work together and if you've never even thought about this before this is like top three concepts for me in terms of golf now i just think it's so so important and we're not really we're not we don't have sponsors for this show because you know you and me have our businesses built on kind of the products we we are selling but i feel like this episode is a perfect entree into the adam young golf world so why don't you you know if people want more of this and ways to build skill, I'm going to defer to my partner's book and online uh, programs here. Adam, hit them with them. What do you got?
0: On Amazon, the practice manual, the ultimate guide for golfers. I give a very in-depth definition of these things as well as motor learning definitions. And on my website www.adamyounggolf.com. <laughs> wait you forgot slash. the
1: https uh, oh, yeah, yeah,
0: colon exactly. forward slash forward site. slash <laughs> um, yeah I have I have online programs there where I talk about all these different drills how to develop skills in different areas guys look if you if you want to reach your best Working on technique alone is not going to do it. You've got to add strategy to it. You've got to add mental game. You've got to add the physical side of it, the nutrition side of it. You've got to have good equipment. And by all means, you have to, have to, have to develop your skills as well. For me, that is more important than any of the other ones what's your website john i know you do a lot of writing on skill work as well and and all those other aspects
1: yeah this is something i I kind of bake into the practice part of my site but you know always come to practical golf.com sign up for the newsletter we got some awesome new deals for the spring on cool products we mentioned the divot board that's a product that we both love and legitimately use ourselves so we've we've got some stuff with that product and other ones and uh check me out there but i'm kind of excited about this episode i hope i hope Hope we get some comments from people always feel free to reach out to us via email on twitter at practical golf at adam young golf and uh, interact with us we will see you next time thanks yeah.
0: see you next week